Thank you, John. We are in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, this morning, chapter 3, if you'd care to turn back there. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Uh, It's hidden in there a little bit. Uh, Those first eight verses that Keith read make up certainly the most well-known passage of this book. And I think one of the most well-known passages of the whole the whole Bible. Uh, to everything there is a season. There's a time. There's a right time. Uh, the salesperson, the comedian, the politician of our age would say timing is everything. And while that's not really true, timing does mean a lot in our world, doesn't it? It's not everything, but it's significant. Uh, Where and when we do something, where and when we act in a certain way can make a big difference in results, in how people and circumstances respond. It's true. That's about timing. If you stand up in the middle of a library and go, ah, everybody around you will just stare at you. But if you do exactly the same thing on an airplane, everybody will join in. You see, (laughs) that all has to do with timing. Four engineers are riding in a car and the car stalls. The electrical engineer says, "Mm, probably bad spark. The chemical engineer says, no, poor fuel mixture. The mechanical engineer says, you're both wrong. It's a timing problem. And then they all turn and look at the computer engineer who really has no idea, but says, hey, maybe if we all get out of the car and then get back in, it might start. Nearly always, there is an inherent rightness or wrongness to the timing of a thing. And the truth is, you know, a lot of the trouble that comes to us, comes to us because what we do or what someone else has done, has been done out of time. Not at the right time, if you think about it. A gasoline engine, in order for it to run, or at least to run well, has got to be in time. The valves, the pistons, the crank, the cam, all those parts in there have to dance together in time. Because if they don't, stuff crashes together. And most of life works in just that same way. If the timing is off, the dance doesn't work. And feet get stepped on. And it's just that sense of right timing that the writer realizes here. Now this book, the, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, is part of the Bible's wisdom literature. And, and as, a, as a whole, it tells the story of a person trying to find purpose in life. And as the story unfolds, it actually gets rather depressing. Uh, the word meaningless The idea that there's nothing new under the sun and and the return to this theme, you know, I thought I'd find meaning over there, but I was wrong. Those things come up over and over again through this book. It describes the difficulty at times of life. But then at the very end, in the last two verses of chapter 12, we arrive at really the most important part 
of the message of the work. It's the resolution of the problem that we're given. The writer basically says, I have thought deeply of these things. I have searched. I have investigated. I've done much investigation. And at the end, the writer says, here's my conclusion. Although life in our world can be difficult and inconsistent, in order for life to make sense and for persons to be whole, this is what we have to do. First, we have to fear God, which, you know, means to, to be in right relationship with him, to, to see him and to revere him as the God that he is. We have to fear God, he says. Second, we have to obey God's commands. We have to value what he says to value. We have to think in the ways he says to think. We have to do as he says to do. We have to obey his commands, second. And then third, the writer says, we must trust that God will judge. In the end, everything that is done. Once we've done all that we know to do, we have to leave it, both the known and the unknown, we have to leave it to God to sort out. And we can trust that he will indeed do that. That is the essence of the work. And frankly... You know, simply embracing that, <laughs> embracing the overall message of the, of the book and the writer here is, is pretty critical in making sense of our world. Because no matter what is going on, no matter how meaningless or hopeless or discombobulated things are or seem to be, nothing that is happening at the moment is new, you see. New to the world. Nothing is. Whatever our world may be like today, it's been like this before. People have felt before exactly the way you feel or I feel today. Someone has felt it before. The guy who wrote this book, King Solomon, we believe. This guy, thousands of years ago, felt exactly the same way many people feel today. But especially, since this is Father's Day, let me say, especially men. Generally speaking, men are the ones who have this drive, this, this compulsion, obsession sometimes, to fix situations and to fix circumstances. So, so men especially, not exclusively, but especially men ask these very questions today. Where is the world heading? Where is my nation heading? Why is there so much injustice here? Why do things seem so unpredictable? Why do evil people prosper and holy people suffer? And where is God in all of this? Where can I find truth that I can really trust? You see, we're tempted to think thoughts like that are new. <laughs> but this guy Solomon, the writer here, he felt all of those things in a completely different part of the world, in a totally different time and culture. All of that stuff he felt as well. And so he went looking for answers. And after considering it all very thoroughly, his conclusion was that since there are some things that we will never totally understand in our present, the only real way forward with peace is to fear God, obey his commands, and trust judgment to him. That's the overall message of Ecclesiastes in making sense of our world. And it's a message that the wise among us could learn from if we only would. Now, within the larger work, though, 
there's something more. There's this section here in chapter 3 that Keith read specifically about timing, or in places it's translated seasons. Other than the very end of the book, this is one of the only places in here that seems to be hopeful and positive. If you've read through Ecclesiastes, you know what I mean. Because this section declares that even as confusing and unjust and disordered as the world may seem to be, in truth, there is an order to even that which seems to be chaotic to us. There is an order. There's a time, there's a season, there's a fitness There is a sensibility to the way God has made the world that in spite of the fall is still operating and it is still effective. If you look out over our broken world, we are tempted at times to think there is no order here at all. The chaos has overtaken, that evil has triumphed, and that there's no reason for anything pleasant anymore. Pleasant thoughts, pleasant hopes, pleasant feelings. But scripture assures us that is just not the case. Even as the writer here questions and doubts and wonders as he looks out over his world, he can't help but conclude that as nutty as the world so often seems, God still enforces boundaries on the bad and the broken. God is in control of the times. God is in control of the seasons that come. So yes, people do die here. But people are also being born here. The beauty of life goes on. Plants are harvested here, but plants are also being sown. People succumb to disease here, but people are also being healed. Yes, there is mourning. But there's also dancing. And there's also Rejoicing, And he goes on and on and on, naming and admitting the presence of the bad, but also the good, which makes this declaration of order and times and seasons a happy encouragement within the encouragement of the greater book. The fact is, it is a great relief to come to see that there is an order to our world. Most of us have grown up understanding that, but most of the rest of the world has not. There is a great relief to see that there is order to our world and to know that God is in charge of it. So much of our culture, our culture, is scared to death and places all of the responsibility on us To bring order to our world. And we do have work to do. I I don't diminish that. We've got a lot of work to do. But this world belongs to God, you see. And he has not just washed his hands of it and of us. He has not done that. He is powerfully engaged in our present and in our future. So beyond just seeing that truth... As words on a page, how can we experience it for ourselves? How can we know the peace in this that so much of our world, even today, is trying desperately to find? Solomon tells us, we fear God. (laughs) We give him the honor and the glory that he's due. We obey his commands. We take his word seriously and follow it with our lives. And after we've done these, we choose to trust him for what's to come because he is the God of order, the God of time, the God of the seasons, for both the happy and the sad of life. That is the message that we see overall in these eight verses. 
It goes along, right along, hand in hand with the greater message of the book. And yet, even within these eight verses, there's one more assertion that speaks even more precise relief and peace to souls that are wondering and souls that are conflicted. And that is the declaration there in verse 4, that while there may be seasons for tears, there are also seasons for laughter. Yes, there are times to weep. But there are also times, there are right times to laugh. In fact, you know, I don't want to make too big of a deal about this, but, but I tend to think that this whole text here is presented in such a way that suggests where God wants us to land even as we read it. You know, of the, there's 14 couplets here that make up these eight verses. And of those 14, at least nine of them are arranged in what we would tend to think of as a positive order. Kill, then heal. Tear down, then build up. Scatter, then gather. Plant, then harvest. War, then peace. Then, verse 4 there, a time to weep, and then a time to laugh. It communicates God's order of things. Winter before spring. Grief before joy. Death before resurrection. Weeping, yes, maybe. But then comes Laughter. Uh, There remains yet a time for laughter. Though the days might be difficult in the moment for those even who love and trust Christ, the days may be difficult. But for those in Christ, there will, there can be absolutely sure, we can be absolutely sure that there will come a time to laugh again. Did you know? that uh, the Greek Orthodox Church has a centuries-old tradition of gathering together on the Monday after Easter to tell jokes to each other. It's true. You see, some of you think jokes in sermons are just superfluous fluff, but they're not. They have a purpose. The Orthodox do this because it's one way that they celebrate the greatest prank ever played. God raising Jesus from the death that the devil surely thought was his end, you see. So to commemorate, to celebrate this magnificent last word that God had, they all gather the day after Resurrection Day and laugh together. It's a defiance against evil is what it is. So see, laughter at its holiest and its best, it's a declaration of the certainty of our sure future hope. Laughter is the human affirmation that God will most certainly win after all. In his book, Theology of Play, Jürgen Moltmann talks about this sort of holy laughter as part of the work of liberation. It's the reason for the whole genre of African-American spirituals A whole music genre. The laughter of slaves who know their deliverance is coming, if not in this life, then certainly in the next. It's because, you see, when we know how things end for us in Christ, that sets us free to laugh. That's why the deepest and the best laughter is Easter laughter. It's resurrection laughter. It's the declaration that that in reality, we are free. We are free. Somebody wrote, Easter laughter oxygenates the soul through 
and through. It puts something into us. It's true. And you know, all of this, this whole idea of the significance and the beauty of, of Easter laughter, it's, it's really prefigured in the Psalms. In Psalm 126, the psalmist writes, he said, When the captives returned to Zion, their mouths were filled with laughter and their tongues with songs of joy. The psalmist says they were like those who dreamed. You see, they could hardly believe it. Their deliverance had come, and so their laughter just echoed. And it echoes through the centuries. Generation after generation, God's delivered people kept singing the same song as they made their annual pilgrimage to the temple. They sang a song of redemption, of good prevailing over evil and right prevailing over wrong. It's a song of laughter. It's what it is. It's a song that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. It's a song that his people sing today. That's what we're singing. When we sing our hallelujahs on Easter Sunday, when, when we tell our jokes like the Orthodox on Easter Monday, and any time following, as we sing songs of praise and thanksgiving every Lord's Day, as we gather together and as we sing his praise individually through the days and the weeks, as we choose to laugh, as we choose to sing, even while difficulties arise in our lives, what are we doing? We are joining with those in history who knew the depths of brokenness, who understood sorrow comes to life, but yet they affirmed that God is the deliverer and that God always has the last laugh. He does. He has the last laugh. And even today, he invites those of us in Christ to laugh with him. E. Stanley Jones writes, certainly there's a place for grief. But I never grieve over the tragedies of life for long because we know how things turn out in the end. Uh, we know that it's God and not evil who is in charge of life here. We know that. In fact, in the end, the joke is on the evil. Because we in Christ, we are raised with Jesus. We in Christ, though we die, yet shall we live. Yet shall we live. We in Jesus, we are Easter people, and so we are free. We have the assurance that no matter what might be happening in our lives at the moment, this present season is going to pass. And a season of healing, a season of mending, a season of harvest and birth and even laughter is on its way, is going to come. Even, even right now, even if you see no humor on your horizon, if you're in Christ, you can rest assured that humor is going to return because it's part of God's created order. It's brought to fullness in resurrection. That is the assurance that we find here in Solomon, even though the world around us, or maybe just our own private world, seems to have flipped its lid, we can still laugh. If we will fear God, if we'll obey his commands, if we'll trust judgment to him, if we'll set ourselves firmly in Christ, then the time is right. Time's always right to, to laugh. I wonder if something has stolen your laughter today. What is it that has stolen your ability to laugh? What, what is the pressure 
that you're feeling? What is the circumstance that you're facing? What is the threat that's presenting itself in your life? What is it that seems stronger than God in your life today? Whatever it is, whatever it is, though it may be here for a season, and no doubt the pain it causes is real. I'm not trying to minimize that. Would you rest assured that its time will end, its season will end, and the season of joy and a season of peace and a season of laughter will not only come, but it will overcome. It will overcome, just as Solomon did, as Jesus did, and as his spirit empowers his followers to do. Would you look to that time, not to this time, but to that time, Would you take confidence? Would you take courage? Now, if you don't know Jesus today, you need to receive him. That's the first thing. He is the path to redemption. He's the way to resurrection. And so he's the way to peace. So if you don't know Jesus, knowing him has to come first. Receiving his forgiveness has to come first. But you see, all in Christ today, we are free And so we are free to live in the joy of his reality. Even today, today's the season. Today's the right time for laughter because Jesus has already overcome. He's already overcome. Father, would you help us to take confidence and assurance in our right relationship with you, in obeying your commands and in trusting judgment to you? Would you help us to know That you are still the God of order. You are the God of time. You are the God of the seasons of life. Help us to know that even though we have trouble in this world from time to time, Jesus has overcome. And may that reality be our true and enduring joy in this day. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.